Hey there, welcome to the Title Bites, the coolest place for members of the Michigan Land Title Association to receive the latest scoop on what is happening in the title insurance industry. If you think title insurance is boring, you're so wrong. Let's dive headfirst into this episode of Title Bites. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Title Bites podcast. My name is Jackie Brink from First National Title Insurance and your current MLTA president. I'd first like to say thank you to my company, First National Title Insurance, for sponsoring this episode. In this episode, our lobbyist, Matt Sowash, and our legislative steering chair, John Bomarito had the pleasure of interviewing Senator Jeff Irwin from Washtenaw County. So without further ado, here's Matt, John, and Jeff. Everybody, thanks for joining the MLTA podcast. Uh, on today is uh, John Bomarito, as well as our special guest, Senator Jeff Irwin uh, from Ann Arbor in Washtenaw County. Um, very appreciative of Senator Irwin of joining us, who is chair of the Housing and Human uh, Human Services Committee in the state Senate. Uh, Senator Irwin has had a very successful career in both the Michigan House and now in the Michigan Senate, and appreciate him taking uh, some time out of his day. Uh, to give us a little background on who he is and and some issues surrounding housing uh, in the state of Michigan. Thanks so much, Senator. Right. Thanks for your interest. Um, just to start, we want to kind of get to know you a little bit about who you are. So um, maybe share a little bit about uh, your district, the area you represent, and um, how you got into politics and decided to run. Sure. Uh, well, I have the pleasure currently of representing the 15th district, which uh, basically runs between Ypsilanti and Tecumseh. Uh, it's mostly in Washtenaw County, but it has little bits of Monroe and Lenawee County as well. Uh, it includes uh, the southern half of Ann Arbor, Saline, the whole Saline area, down to Milan, the whole uh, city of Milan. And then it stretches out to the west uh, to include Manchester and Clinton and Tecumseh. And so uh, that's the 15th district. I represent probably about you know 290,000 people who live in those areas. And I live uh, in the very southern part of Ann Arbor, uh, sort of near Packard and Platt for folks who, who know the Ann Arbor area. Uh, so I um, originally got involved in politics because I moved to Ann Arbor uh, as a result of uh, my admission to the University of Michigan and thought that maybe I would go into law or you know business or something like that uh, because I grew up in a very political family up in northern Michigan. Uh, my dad was elected to the legislature, and and that taught me uh, at least two things, uh, several more, but at least two that I'll mention now. Uh, one uh, was it taught me that at least as a young man, I didn't want to be a, a legislator, and it you know it just seemed like a terrible job from the outside. And then I, I also learned that, you know, this is something that normal people do. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so growing up in that kind of environment, I was exposed to a lot of political discussions and I didn't realize what a benefit that was to me because then when I myself got older and got into college, thought that I didn't want anything to do with politics, I just started to stumble into some activism. I stumbled into um, environmental activism, somewhat born out of my time as a Boy Scout and a backpacker and you know, somebody who just loves the outdoors, you know, loves to be in a canoe or a kayak. Uh, you know, so that sort of sprouted out some environmentalism and started getting active and volunteering for some local environmental organizations. And then um, 
I started getting involved in uh, issues around housing and homelessness, actually. Uh, I started getting involved with a group of people in Ann Arbor who felt that it was important that we build a new homeless shelter because of the state of the, the old homeless shelter. And, and because of those two things, it just sort of led me to this happenstance situation where uh, I had a chance to run for local office. And because the county was going to be so necessary to build that homeless shelter, I thought, what the heck, I'll run for office. That's something normal people do. And I got elected as an undergrad. And that just really pulled me into the world of local government. And it, it taught me that I love helping people. It taught me that uh, there's a tremendous amount of good that you can do by you know, just getting your hands dirty in local politics. Great. Appreciate that. So, Senator, um, what are some of your personal legislative priorities um, this term that you're hoping to accomplish? Well, as you can imagine from you know, that initial introduction, uh, there are uh, important priorities around the environment. You know, I want to promote clean energy. I want to get back to a system where polluters are held more accountable so that we can clean up our beautiful state and leave it in a good condition, not just for our grandchildren, but for, you know, people who will come here that, that none of us will ever meet generations from now. Uh, so that's important to me. Uh, I think that uh, unquestionably the most important function of state government is to provide a quality free public education to uh, every child in the state. And I think it's important that we do a, a good job with that. Uh, one of the things, there's a lot to focus on there, but the one I'll mention is that I'm very interested in, in uh, weaving in more of the knowledge that we've gleaned in recent years about the science of reading uh, into our uh, early education, early elementary environment make sure that uh, our educators are getting the tools and training uh, and the support necessary to uh, do a better job with uh, teaching kids to read uh, and, and frankly, getting uh, into some you know, phon phonemic awareness and phonics-based education that, that we've gotten away from in recent years. Uh, so that's uh, you know, one priority there. And then I also think it's really important that the state uh, step up and take care of people who are facing poverty and, and, uh, there's a lot to talk about there, but just as a sort of philosophical overlay, uh, I think one of the mistakes we make with our programs that are meant to help people is that we make it very, very difficult to offer people help when they're stumbling and, and we wait until they've completely fallen. And then it's a heavier lift. And so, you know, there's a lot of ways in which our systems of public benefits create these benefit cliffs. And trying to smooth that out and make it easier for people to get back to work uh, without maybe, say, for instance, losing their health care uh, or, um, you know, uh, make it easier for people to get access to food assistance or some of those sort of initial frontline levels of support. Uh, because I think that if we uh, are help people a little bit earlier in their uh, moment of crisis, we're going to end up with a more efficient, more successful system. There'll be more people who we get back on track who are able to stay on track. Great. Appreciate that. Um, you've served several terms in the House and now in your second term in the Senate. What what are one or two things that are maybe you're most proud of accomplishing during your time in office, whether it be legislative or helping a constituent or um, something that really sticks out that you were able to to get done? Sure. Uh, one thing that stands out just in recent years, and this isn't something I was able to accomplish on my own, but it was something that, you know, like everything in the legislature is a bit of a group effort. But uh, when I first got to the legislature in 2019, uh, I worked together with Senator Brinks to put forward some amendments to the budget to really change fundamentally how we compensate people who provide care to senior citizens and disabled residents in their homes. So we've got a whole range of people, both physically disabled individuals and some of our seniors who 
uh, may not want to and uh, probably aren't in, in need of a nursing home level of care. Uh, but uh, we make it very, very difficult for them to get the level of care they, they need, which is someone to come into their home, check on them every once in a while, make sure they're taking their meds, make sure they're getting their you know, healthy meals cooked and that sort of thing. And um, when I first got to the legislature, we were paying these in-home caregivers so little that it was almost impossible for many of our seniors to find someone to do that work. And when they could find someone to do that work, that person would leave because they could get paid more doing anything else. And so uh, Senator Brinks and I put forward amendments that basically said it's fundamentally unfair to pay these critical caregivers uh, way less than a living wage and to keep them in poverty. And it makes it so that the people we're trying to serve, our seniors and disabled residents, are not getting the level of care they deserve and need. And it's pushing them into a nursing home. It's, it's, it's possibly costing us more money in the long run. Let's bring these people's wages out of the basement. So in the last couple years, we've been able to get, last four years, I guess, we've been able to get some substantial increases. I still think that because of what's happened, uh, you know, in the economy in the last four years and the pressures on the labor market, uh, those wages still need to go up a fair amount. But, you know, increasing the wages of those frontline caregivers by 20 percent uh, is meaningful to their lives. And there are tens of thousands of people who do that kind of work every day, which is difficult, intimate work that we don't respect with the way that we pay folks who provide that kind of personal care. So, Senator, I, I sort of recognize the the irony of this question, um, and I'm not sure I could answer it, but what does a normal day look like for you? And I don't even know how to define normal, because if your day's like mine, it's going to be different every day. But to the extent that you can, what's, what's, what's a generally, what's a normal day look like for you? Well, one of the nice things about having uh, the role I have and being an elected official in the state legislature is that uh, days aren't the same. They're 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 very different, uh, and uh, yet there's some rhythm to it. I mean, when we have session days, when we have session and committee, you know, usually I'm going to Lansing fairly early, and I'm just trying to pack my day with as many meetings as I can with the sort of folks who are typically hanging around Lansing. Uh, you know, those would be folks who work in the departments. Uh, those would be my colleagues. Those would be folks who you know are lobbying on behalf of different interests and associations. And so, uh, you know, it's it's usually a pretty full day. And uh, oftentimes, there's you know an evening event that I need to get back to in district. Um, you know, uh, but uh, there are, you know, Mondays and Fridays and weekends where uh, it's usually a different sort of rhythm where that's when I'm scheduling more meetings with my uh, constituents, uh, with folks who want to talk about issues that are important in the community, but they, they live in, in my district um, uh, or, um, you know, holding kind of community events and, and that sort of thing. Uh, so that's kind of the rhythm generally of session days versus non-session days. and. Uh, one of the great things about it is that, that you know, we get to work on, like, say, for instance, I'll just close with this. The state budget's $80 billion this year. So if you can just imagine all the different interests that are involved in trying to make decisions about that level of investment and appropriation on behalf of the taxpayers, it's a, it, it's a genuinely awesome responsibility. And so there's just there, – there, there's just a lot to learn. And uh, one of the other great benefits about it is that I get to call on people who are experts in all, a wide range of fields and, and seek their counsel and you know, talk to people who, who know a whole lot about a whole lot of things. And I, I just find that interesting and exhilarating, really. It's, it's, it's fun to constantly be learning new things. 
maybe just changing lanes a little bit over to to your your committee and that you chair. Um, maybe just give some of the listeners uh, a little bit of an explanation of what being chair of the Housing and Human Services Committee looks like from your standpoint, some of the things you're focused on there. Yeah. And so uh, even though I've been in the legislature for 10 years, I've never had the opportunity to chair a committee. I've served in the minority for uh, those previous years. And, you know, that uh, opportunity is, is, is great. And, and these are issues that I think are really important. I mean, look, the uh, housing affordability is a problem in my district, and it's a huge problem in my district. And when I talk to my colleagues, when I talk to people all over the state, it seems like it's a big problem almost everywhere in the state. And the problem looks a little different uh, maybe in you know Detroit than it does in Ann Arbor. It looks different in Traverse City than it does in in, in Alpena. But all these communities are are having struggles with affordable housing, with you know enough places for people who work there to live. And so. Um, you know, the committee has two, dual focus, housing and human services. But when it comes to housing, I think our focus is how can we assist in getting more housing in more places, full stop. We need more housing in Michigan and, and all over the state. And so anyway, there's a range of things that we can we can do with that. Uh, everything from looking at ways that we might be able to modernize our construction code that brings in some more efficient uh, means of building, uh, everything from you know, sort of the ideas like that, uh, you know, all, all the way to um, you know, issues around you know, how we zone. Um, these are all you know, things that are on the table and discussions that, that we're having. Um, you know, then there's the whole uh, human service side of the the committee's responsibility, which you know I think gets into some of the things I was saying earlier about trying to smooth that benefits cliff, trying to make it uh, you know systems uh, you know easier for everyone to work with, uh, both in terms of the department itself and um, and uh, and for for you know beneficiaries who are who are applying for 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 help. Uh, and, and so far, the committee's been busying itself with. Um, trying to identify some of these problems in the system and just knock them down one at a time. And, and you know, we've been, we've kicked out of, of a handful of bills already. And we started with uh, the EIT, EITC restoration, increasing uh, a tax credit for low-income workers. And, um, you know, we moved on to, you know, some issues like trying to sort out some uh, guardianship issues for tribal governments that uh, were uh, being treated unfairly in that. Uh, their residents were not eligible for assistance under the state's guardianship program, uh, which they ought to have been, and we're trying to fix that. So, you know, that's 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 what we've been up to. So, I think you you, you touched on the next question that we were going to ask, which is about what housing related issues you're passionate about. I, th- I think you sort of touched on that. So, I guess I'd follow that up with, you know, are there any of those issues or other housing related things that you're working on or you're hoping to work on sooner rather than later? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's uh, I think going to be coming up soon uh, that I didn't mention yet is uh, sort of an issue that it expands a little bit both housing and human services, which is uh, right now uh, uh, we have a number of communities across the state that have adopted ordinances that are similar to this kind of statute, which 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 I'm proposing along with a couple of colleagues, which is to say that we should prohibit discrimination based on the source of income that the renter has. And so uh, 
you know, we can think about a, a number of uh, typical situations of you know, someone with child support benefits or someone with veterans benefits. Uh, and then one of the main ones, uh, which is, you know, frankly, a, a lot of what we're talking about here is Section 8. Uh, you've got individuals who have these housing choice vouchers. Uh, these these kinds of vouchers are a, a, a great tool, I think, for providing um, support, subsidy for folks who are struggling to afford their housing, but do it in a way where uh, market forces uh, are in play and where um, uh, uh, you also get more of a, a integration and mixing of, of different incomes within neighborhoods. And you know, I think that anybody who's analyzed these kinds of issues comes out with that conclusion, among others, which is that uh, this is a big assist to the families that are facing poverty, but, but also to all of us if we have more economically integrated neighborhoods. Uh, and uh, so the voucher system is, is very promising. But one of the problems is that there are a lot of landlords who will discriminate against uh, folks who, who, who have housing vouchers. And so anyway, we're trying to find an acceptable way to uh, shore up that system, uh, both by uh, making it illegal for that kind of discrimination to happen, but also uh, hopefully providing some supports as well so that the systems that those landlords have to depend upon to, to make those housing vouchers work are uh, are easy to work with and uh, you know, don't create uh, uh, costly delays for them. Maybe moving over uh, for the last question, kind of around this committee before we wrap up, um, you know, how familiar are you with the title industry? And I think one of the things that we'd like to hear maybe your, your thoughts are on how, you know, our industry and our members can better engage with whether it be you or their local state legislator, um, when issues arise that that might impact their industry? Yeah. So, you know, I would say I have a, a functional working knowledge of what the you know, title industry does, uh, but I don't know a lot about it. It's not something that you know, I've never, obviously, I should say, obviously, I've never worked in the title industry. I've never been like a real estate agent or anything like that. So, um, you know, I, I've bought some properties. I've seen that end of the transaction uh, at least a, a few times. And uh, you know, I've spoken with uh, members of the Land Title Association before when they've visited my office and we've talked about some of the issues that they've brought to the table in the past. So, you know, I guess I have some understanding of it, but not the kind of understanding that your members do. And so uh, I guess that gets on to the second part of the question, which is, you know, what, what do I suggest? I mean, I just suggest that people build a relationship with their lawmakers. Uh, you know, every one of your lawmakers, just like me, lives somewhere in your community or, you know, in the neighboring community, depending upon how physically large the district is. Um, and, you know, we have regular public events and you know, town halls or little coffee hour type meetings where we just sit down in the community and talk about what our residents want to talk about. So that's a great opportunity to uh, meet your legislator uh, and just to say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. Uh, and, you know, here are a couple of ideas about things that you might want to do to improve the uh, functioning of our industry, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I, you know, I, I think people shouldn't be shy about asking for a meeting with their legislator. You know, if you really have, um, you know, some detailed stuff that, you know, de uh, information that you want to convey to your legislator, uh, there, you shouldn't be shy about just reaching out to their office, you know, probably over email and saying, uh, I'd like to sit down and talk about an issue with you. I've got a proposal that I want you to consider and I want some information I want to give you. And, you know, that'll start a conversation with them. And, you know, they may want to, 
look at that before the meeting. It depends on, I guess, the legislator. But I, I know in my office, my general approach is if, if somebody who's a voter in our area wants to talk, uh, you know, let's find a, a way and a time for that to happen, uh, at least over the phone, if not in person. Very good. Very good. So I think we'll bring it home with the last uh, last couple of questions. Um, outside of, of, of work and politics, what are the things that you like to do? I know you mentioned, um, kayaking and canoeing, but uh, you know, what, what are some things you like to do personally when you, when you got some free time? Yeah. Yeah. I love getting in the outdoors and camping and, you know, I, I'm constantly telling people that Michigan has uh, some of the top quality beaches in the world. Uh, yeah, so I love all that. Um, uh, another thing that I'll be doing later on this evening, uh, is, you know, playing hockey. I know that, uh, uh, had an opportunity to step onto the ice with with Matt not too long ago, and uh, he's pretty good. I'm not that good, but I am very willing. I'm a very willing player. <laughs> so I try to get out there and put some energy on the ice at least once a week. Uh, I, I I try to play basketball sometimes, but uh, that's just such a dangerous sport for me. I always end up uh, rolling my ankle over eventually, and it's tough to be a politician on crutches. I'm not sure if I'll go back to that. So it's been, you know, I play that uh, sparingly, uh, but I, you know, eager to get back into it. You know, and I've got a couple of kids who are uh, in middle school age. And so I try to spend as much time as I can with them, you know, playing games or, or whatever else they're willing to do with their dad. Uh, last two lightning round here. Uh, what's the best city you've ever visited? The best city I've ever visited. Oh gosh. I'll say <laughs> I'll say Beijing. These were these were supposed to be the easy questions, Senator. These are the easy ones. So <laughs> <laughs> not easy. That's not easy because you know, of course, I want to say like, I don't know, Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor's pretty great. It's one of the reasons why I ended up staying here. Uh, uh I love it. Uh, you know, I think about a lot of a, a lot of places, you know, that I've been and had a lot of you know, good opportunities in my life. You know, many of those places are just small towns around America because I love to drive around and go on road trips and go camping and just bring my tent. I think there's, so, you know, I've got a lot of romantic feelings about a lot of different places, but if just in terms of spectacularness uh, and uh, like amazing history and, you know, mind blowingness for, for, uh, for me, uh, that was probably the most exotic. All right. Last one. What's your favorite restaurant in the Ann Arbor area? My favorite restaurant in the Ann Arbor area. I'm going to go with Miss Kim. All right. You there heard a lot of great restaurants in Ann Arbor and I, you know, but right now that's my, that's my call is Miss Kim. Well, I'll put that one on the list. We appreciate your time this afternoon and for doing this. I, I know our members are appreciative to, to learn a little bit more about you, but then uh, hopefully down the road as, as you continue to work on housing related issues, no, we'll continue to engage with you. So appreciate, always appreciate your availability and time. Uh, time this afternoon. Thank you, Senator. Great. Yeah. Thanks for your interest. And uh, I hope to talk to you gentlemen soon. Great. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Title Bites. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice to get instant updates when new episodes are published. You can also visit the MLTA website to find more information. Just visit MILTA.org. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode.